Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. My guest today is the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man to my Tom Holland Spider-Man. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm Andrew Garfield because I am the oh, okay. hottest one. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Always. Redact that from the... My movies record. aren't good, but at least I am fun to look at. Hi, I'm Hunter. Uh, Hunter, before we get started with just like the meat of this episode, how do you feel about um everyone and their 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 best friend's mother being in the the new Spider Man movie? Well, I actually have an announcement. Super exciting. Um, I will actually be returning. Um, just kidding. I'm I'm overwhelmed by it all. I like it's just a lot like at first it was like okay like jamie fox is back okay that's a choice but cool go for it but then like then the bottom just fell out it was like (laughs) oh alfred molina and now emma stone and now just everyone just everyone then then kirsten dunce and then toby mcguire who (laughs) i kind of just hope that like toby mcguire he's in his 40s I hope it's just him giving like poker <laughs> tips to yeah. Tom Holland. Which I mean, is like Tom, would, Tom Holland's like, we need to save the city and uh <laughs> Toby Maguire just throws a Spider Verse Spider Man. Like just like old and just grizzled and just like I just wanna have him screaming double down every moment and then destroy a kitchen like I want prison. them to really flex and bring back Shailene Woodley as the character they cut from the Amazing Spider Man two. So like she wasn't even here and she's back it just kind of sounds like the like i i saw that news and i thought it was a joke and then a lot more outlets were reporting it yeah. and then i was like oh so this this is actually happening and i i guess where i stand right now is if it works i guess it could be really cool i this is probably an idea that like works a little better with the like that the really great um spider-verse animated spider-man movie but yeah um, which it would have never happened without that movie honestly right it would have never feels like a course correct like yeah oh that people really like that idea so now let's do this what far from home came out like seven months after spider-verse and like people i mean i thought far from home was fine i guess it's okay like that's the thing it's it was coming off the heels of this movie that is genuinely great like genuinely one of the best superhero movies there there is live action or animated so it was like ooh. so i think this could either be really cool or it could just be a nostalgia trap and they're just throwing everything at the wall and just hoping some of it sticks or it could be an epic mess that (laughs) yeah nothing more to add it could just be an epic mess yeah i don't I don't believe Kevin Feige would let that happen. I think he would let it be forgettable before he lets it be a mess. Well, he would he would rather it be wasted potential than it be bad. Well, unfortunately for our listeners, we're not going to be talking about Spider-Man or Tobey Maguire this episode. Um, but I really wanted to have you on because a lot of the titles from the Toronto International Film Festival are actually available to watch for most people right now in the the dog days of December, and didn't really discuss these titles. But we're killing until... cinema. Don't don't forget that. Oh, killing killing movies forever dead. Maybe maybe we can wrap up with the the fallout of the Warner Brothers decision, which touched on briefly last week with Josh Martin, and maybe the the disney news i i was low-key just kind of like planning this week as like ah, eh, this will be kind of a light week and i'll have hunter on and we'll just like make some 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 nomad puns and it'll be light yeah, and don't then, forget like, yes. chloe jaw is killing cinema by letting her movie be shown at the lincoln the lincoln uh, Center online. yeah but it's and then okay. D- disney just dropped like a a dumpster load of of things let's let's actually just talk about the disney stuff really quick i, I don't think the we alien fx of... series that's all i care about hey i'm i'm down actually i do care about quite a bit i'm not gonna lie i am 
I, I I watched that thing yesterday. I was like, this is dystopian. This is horrible. It's just corporate greed. Oh my God. They're doing an alien series. Oh my God. Oh my God. Just like fully like, I was just like, this is disgusting. No company should have this much power. Oh, a WandaVision looks really good. Wow. Uh, it was just like, I, there was just like really harsh dissonance yesterday watching where I, I was just like, Disney sucks, but also I'm so excited for some of this Disney stuff coming down the line. Yeah, it kind of felt like after the the Warner Brothers decision, which, you know, maybe we can slightly touch on. I I think kind of had a big blowback this week with, you know, the Christopher Nolan of it all is a little bit complicated because of his sort of insistence on Tenet had to be released theatrically. And, and I still ain't I still ain't seen that movie. I know you I'm going uh, to I'm I'm going to hold a pin in it. I think it would be a really fun episode to do whenever it finally hits VOD and kind of everyone can see it. Yeah. Um I will just say I think there's an argument to be made it's his worst movie. But that's all I'll say for right now. As much as the Warner Brothers decision had this kind of big blowback with um a lot of their filmmakers from Christopher Nolan to even kind of Patty Jenkins and I think even Aaron Denis, Sorkin D- and Denis Villeneuve is He's not happy. Um, even, he's he's. I think he. I don't agree with his his viewpoint, but I think he is he is approaching it in a little bit more of a level headed way. Um, yeah. Than than no one is, but it's like no, one of Christopher Nolan's movies aren't even affected by this. You had your chance, and it didn't work. So yeah, like, I, I, maybe you should step back. I like that's the thing. That's the one thing that makes me mad. Don't get me started on this, but like. <laughs> hey well hey i'm I'm, everyone in my family works in healthcare, so i don't want people going to the movies right now period i don't want my family to get sick i don't want to get sick period like and it's bad people don't people just truly don't understand how awful it is so i don't want to go and see tenant in theaters or i don't i wouldn't go see wonder woman i love the first wonder woman movie but i'm not gonna go see it in theaters and so, like, for Christopher Nolan to be up in arms about it, I'm like, sir, this is not your place. However, I think when it comes to, like, Denis Villeneuve or, you know, anyone whose movie was truly affected by this, which I might agree with the decision to put everything on HBO Max. However, I don't agree with the way that Warner Brothers has done it. Like, just yes. doing it out of the blue, that, that's super sus and like not fun for anyone so any filmmaker that is falls underneath that even if i disagree with you i think you have you fully have the right to to make your voice heard and and make your opinion known like the new yeah i can i can understand why especially the filmmakers who have movies that are directly going to the service you know there's you know financial incentives that are and deals that are made based off of stuff going to directly to theaters and it sounds like a lot of these filmmakers were not consulted on this decision this decision which just sort of made on whim and you know these are unprecedented times and i i you know my cop out take is just like it it sucks for everyone but i do have sympathy with uh a lot of the filmmakers who kind of got blindsided by this and are are just sort of like did we get screwed out of something as well as like, I worked so hard to put something that was going to be made for this. And I was not even consulted about this decision. I I get the financial aspects of it, but with the whole like movie should be seen in theaters, your movie's still going to theaters. Like, yeah, it's, it's still going to be out there. Like, and that's the thing. And that's one thing too. It's like the year definitely was jarring. Like, doing it for all of 2021, that definitely was, like, this doesn't feel like a, a COVID thing. This feels like you like a, a COVID thing that you saw as an opportunity to really, like, hone in on streaming, which everyone's been doing. Like, that's just, that's just something that right. has exacerbated. I fully expected it to be, like, half a year, you know, wait and see. But for them to, I mean... Especially, I like, expected especially them to like wait until Dune. Wonder Woman came out. Yeah, especially with like Dune and all of these other, you know, big movies later in the year, like Matrix 4 or things like mm-hmm. that. That's like, you know, I don't think we'll be fully back to normal, but maybe it, I, 
I I think they sh- probably should have done a wait and see thing, but also at the same time, who knows? We might wait and we might see that they can't do it, and then Warner Brothers already has their bases covered. Who knows? It might be a blowback now, but they we don't know what it's going to be like in ten months. So and and they could go back on the decision for some of those later in the year movies. Well, especially like if Legendary or... sues them. Yeah, that's 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 another complicated piece of this puzzle. I mean, I mean, Josh Martin and I talked about last week of. You know, this is, I think from a business standpoint, I mean, this is Comcast Media just trying to get people to sign up for HBO Max, which like I I love HBO Max and enjoying my subscription to it. But they did they launched with a fairly confusing um, premise in terms of like people not sure like what it was. Do I already have it? How do I sign up? Is HBO now HBO Max? And then not having kind of this signature item like when disney plus launched and it was like there is a new star wars series we are the only place where you can watch it yeah how you sign and up. it felt like hbo max it was like okay all of our really really good shows are gonna go on hbo and they'll be on mm-hmm. hbo max but we also have these shows that are specifically for hbo max but you've never heard of them and they're not that great but yeah that's something that's tough and then when you look at some of the movies that have like gone to hbo max a lot of them were just COVID movies, that movies that got screwed over by like Sony, you know, like Amer- an American Pickle. I didn't see it. I heard it yes. was cute, but no one really talked it, it's about charming. it. charming. And then like Charm City Kings, which was Sony Pictures classic. So arguably that one might have gotten an upgrade from what it probably would have been seen in theaters. And then it's like, what's left? The Witches, you know. Woof. Oh, God. Ooh. I would say don't get me started on that, but actually you could because I don't care enough to like really dog on it even though it's i'm horrid. i'm listening to a podcast series on robert zemeckis right now and it's i'm horrid. in the midst of the like weird they're, they're in the midst of the weird motion capture era stuff and i'm just like what a weird spot this man's career has been god i almost i almost years. would have i almost would have preferred if the witches was in that like christmas carol style but like it's okay at least he's doing pinocchio Ugh. um Oof. oh no right and it's not even the not even the roberto benini one the second roberto benini one we live in really crazy times wow now that i'm like really saying this out loud second but but yeah and and i think you know talking about the hbo now stuff and how this move by them to put all the movies on there not to mention the whole thing with amazon and roku too people didn't like some people didn't have it until literally like now yeah, I was one of them because uh, I have a Fire Stick and was not able to get it until like I'd watch stuff on my computer. But I do think it's a fabulous service for back content, though. Maybe not oh, original, definitely. but for like you know, I think any film film lover out there or someone you know who likes HBO series, I mean, it's a it's a given if it if you like that, you know, obviously you're gonna get HBO Max, but you know, with you know the kind of limited Criterion collection they have, it's kind of like a it's almost like a sizzle reel for a Criterion channel, almost. Where it's like, yes. here are some of the things you can watch, but we have a lot more over here. And you know, mm-hmm. like Cartoon Network and DC, all that. And then just the back catalog of movies they have, whether it be Warner Brothers or third party, you know. I think it's it's really, really great to scroll through. But I do I will admit their original content has been very, very lacking. Yeah, and I think, you know, just as them moving all of these theatrical movies onto the streaming service clearly just felt like we need to draw attention to the streaming service and the streaming service is the company's new main focus. And I can't really be mad at that from a business perspective. It's like, yeah, of course you're going to do that. But also... And I mean, that was the takeaway of the the Disney conference yesterday to me is like they, they did announce like a couple movies you know they i mean they announced like a slew of new marvel movies and they announced that like patty jenkins is going to yeah. be doing a star wars fighter pilot yeah. movie but you know they they primarily most of the content was stuff that's like it's going to the service they even said like the next several pixar movies are just going to go straight to the service yeah you know there's they debuted footage for all the new for most of the new marvel shows and then announced that like 75% of the Star Wars content that they're developing, which, you know, I, as someone who is primarily interested in the Star Wars stuff, I thought it was interesting that, like, the lesson they've clearly taken from this latest batch that just finished up with Rise of Skywalker Oof. is just, we 
we don't need to feed into the the kind of canonical story anymore yeah. and maybe what's more beneficial is what like the mandalorian was doing or even uh as far as the movies went you know something like rogue one or solo which is like let's just play around with characters and pockets of this universe and that i don't know maybe the lesson of what disney and lucasfilm were doing in the last five years was just that star wars at least sort of that the main chronology of movies there's just too much baggage and too much weight of importance around that and part of the reason that sequel trilogy sort of i think ultimately kind of fell apart was just under the weight of everyone sort of expecting it to live up to such high standards that but also everyone's standards being so different yes yes because it's like some people you know you talk to anyone it's like some people love what seven did some people love what eight did i'm in that camp but like and yeah, then, you know agreed. some people love what nine did because it kind of redid seven and or went back to what seven did or whatnot and you know it's like oh god there are so many star wars fans and so many are so passionate it's hard to make all of them happy but it's also like when you piss off one group of them oh honey don't even think about ever leaving your house again um, yeah and it, it just sort of struck me looking at the star wars content and the marvel content i i remember telling people last year like when rise of skywalker wrapped up and then when in game kind of closed a certain chapter of the mcu of like i i doubt either of these two corners of the disney kind of like portfolio book are are going to really do kind of a i mean i might be wrong with some of the marvel stuff but i don't get the sense that either of these two sections of their portfolio is really going to focus on one singular story that's going to build across a series of movies it's just like marvel is the brand star wars is the brand and have just sort of have various pieces of content because that was all because it was obviously it was an investor's thing so all they talked about was the brand the consumer branded mm-hmm. content all this so we know they were very explicit yesterday with that i mean you heard kevin feige talk oh wandavision feeds directly into uh dr strange which also feeds into miss marvel which also feeds into you know so and so and so and so and so so it's like and i think especially with disney plus now around i think we're gonna be seeing less and less of those franchises in movie theaters and more of them on streaming which honestly if i'm being real i'm not that mad about give give more give more theaters to other people you know, who are making original content, you know, if we're going to quote, save theaters, and if we're going to keep this up, I, on one hand, I think pivoting everything to streaming might be a disservice, because less people are going to go to these big event films, but on the other hand, you might get more movies like, you know, I can't think of any off the top of my head, because all of the, the big level movies this year were streaming. The first one that came to my head was Happiest Season because it was a Sony movie and then I remembered it went straight to Hulu. And I don't think Mm -hmm. that movie would have had the same success in theaters. Crap, I disproved my own point. (gasps) (laughs) Well, I I think what I was just sort of getting at is like, you know, like Star Wars, for example, Star Wars isn't going to build a canonical story. Like, I think everyone was wondering after Rise of Skywalker and did like, okay, where are they going to start building a a new sort of series in the the, that universe? And it's like, and eh, we don't really need to do that. Like people like Star Wars as a brand. And so we're just going to have yeah. a bunch of various different content that's just sort of like, at, you know, cl- checks the fan service boxes and can just sort of like, Expand. it doesn't need to build to one thing. It's just like, you like Star Wars. Here's just five different kinds of shows that are all just going to have your Star Wars. And maybe not every um, show is for you. It. Maybe we'll do a different genre or tone of something. And you'll like something more than the other. It gives people choice, but it also is oversaturation. So it's like, how long can this go before this bubble bursts? Like, yeah, it has to eventually. It was kind of like the 3d bubble where it was like, every movie was in 3d until no movie was in 3d. Yeah. I mean, the, the saturation thing is just, was the next thing i was just gonna ask so you much, like but you know how like how many very because ultimately all of this stuff has to operate within like you know we've learned from the the movies under both of these umbrellas that like there can't be that much of a variance in sort of look and 
tone and sort of style like oh God, it I all has to was. feel like star wars it all has to feel like marvel and i'm just sort of like i don't like you arguably get even more content through like a tv series yeah. or a streaming series than in a movie but so like i i don't know how many variations of a star wars series or a marvel series or or can you have at one moment without people being like i don't know this kind of all seems like the same thing it's, or like i have five different be, versions it's of the gonna same thing. be revealed with whatever the second show is yeah so you know i at least i at least am happy that like wandavision looks really interesting where it's like okay that doesn't, i'm that really doesn't, excited for that that doesn't look that familiar meanwhile falcon and the winter soldier could not have bored me less in that trailer i was like oh i'd agree too oh okay cool um two characters who i didn't find that interesting doing things that i don't find that interesting cool go off y'all can you can kind of have that show um but yeah and i mean it'll who knows what that'll be i think marvel is starting to kind of see a lot of its oversaturation coming to a head but at the same time i also think that they're trying to do i think they're trying to pivot to some more original things and i hope people support those original things like eternals directed by chloe jaw um, because if she gets to direct that maybe she can use that money to fund something like nomadland did i just do the yes. segue for you oh my god congrats on uh just doing my work for Hi. me thanks buddy <laughs> um yeah well let's let's transition from just talking about ip and corporate interest to uh talking about nomadland although i'm i this is sort of the problem with like some of the movies that have been coming out this like later part of the year is i i don't know how available they are for people to see and though nomadland is out in some theaters for those who choose to see it or can see it or feel comfortable enough to see it i think is the the correct word because obviously you shouldn't go out to a movie theater if you don't feel comfortable in this pandemic but i think luckily this is a movie that there's not a whole lot to spoil it's not a very like plot heavy movie so i feel fairly comfortable that we can have a kind of like in-depth conversation about it um yeah. without and and get people kind of excited to see it whenever they're just available to see it um i was just i'm on the lincoln center website i think the period for the for nomadland has ended i think it was one week oh and it was sorry December folks 4th through 11th. <laughs> it's minari that is currently streaming for a week for the limited the limited viewing but um honestly i would be shocked if they gave it a full uh a full theatrical window especially right now before the oscars i think it'll probably be on vod soon because it's yeah. also not a movie i don't think you have to see in theaters i watched it on my 55 inch tv and i was like yeah cool i dig this it's it's fine yeah i watched it on my laptop um because i couldn't find a way to cast it to my tv it's not a visual uh, when... movie. i mean it is but it's like so much more about the intimate moments and about the characters which i don't always think you need a massive screen yeah, and it's interesting you bringing up Minari, which is another great movie that I think we're going to table a discussion for later in, um, or earlier next year, I think, when that movie is a little bit more available. Um, but I do think both that movie and Nomadland are kind of, and to some extent, my favorite movie of the year, Kelly Reichardt's First Cow, I think are kind of an interesting trilogy about, you know, this just occurred to me the other day, like a, a trilogy about people just trying to make it in America and just trying to, you know, not necessarily like become super rich or become millionaires, but of just like, I, I just want to work and sort of provide for either myself or my friends or my family and just sort of like, just like earn a living and sort of, there's such a love for the land and kind of like working off the land and living off the land in all three of these movies and maybe, you know, not saying that sort of the greatness of them is solely due to their relevancy. But I don't know. I found all three of those movies kind of like weirdly powerful in a year when I know so many people are kind of like struggling financially and struggling just to meet that kind of basic American dream of just like, I just want to sort of like work and provide for myself. Yeah. And then Hillbilly Elegy um, is the redheaded stepchild that just is no we weren't gonna dive into that oh <laughs> uh, no okay so here's the thing nomadland is everything that hillbilly elegy wants to be 
if we're being real here in terms of what it says I think that's and fair. what it says about America and what it says about the working class and how people can uh live off the land in a way that like I think truly shows what most Americans are trying to do, which is not go to Yale and be a hotshot like hedge fund child, you know, but also like just keeping their head above water and trying to keep themselves from feeling like they are wasting their lives doing something they don't want to do or that maybe they got screwed out of. It's it's a really poignant piece that I think has shades of, uh, you know, something like Jean-Marc Vallée's Wild, which was another movie I really liked, uh, one of mm-hmm. my favorite Reese Witherspoon movies. And I think it, it evokes a lot of that same kind of like love for the literal land that America takes up and and how it can be used to kind of find yourself in a sense. I think Wild is much more about, you know, finding yourself. But I think Nomadland is really it, it strikes that balance between I'm trying to literally not drown under the weight of my own like misfortunes, but also how can I genuinely make life fulfilling under the circumstances that I uh, now find myself placed in. And I think that is both, it's both kind of sad and it's like, we should never have to ask our citizens to do that within, you know, the society in which we live in, but it is something where it's like, obviously strength of the human spirit. That's not a, 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 that is not an unfamiliar like territory for any movie especially a an award season movie but i think what really resonates about nomadland is that it really does tap into like what it really means to kind of like be an american in america rather than just like hillbilly elegy where it's just like i came from nothing you don't know what i've been through and it's like actually a lot of people do and that's kind of the thing it's it's speaking to a larger group of people in a way that I don't think something like Hillbilly is doing, though I am finding that I think more audiences are resonating with Hillbilly which I'm not going to comment on that, but um, I do. We, we don't need to. You can, you can like and dislike whatever absolutely, you want. Absolutely. Is... <laughs> but um, I do think, I wish Nomadland had a little bit more availability for people to like see it and really have that direct yeah, comparison because I think it is the one that is much more successful at what it does about, um, about really honing in what is, what is kind of quintessential about being an American. And what I think is even great about it is that it's directed by an immigrant. You know, Chloe Zhao was yeah. born in China. I fairly certain was raised there too, and immigrated to the United States. And I think she has a a much better vision of what it means to quote be an American than a lot of American born directors, which I think also really plays into truly the new vision of what it is to be an American. It's not, you know, white bread conservative white dudes from that country it's every everything and everyone and it doesn't have to be the singular vision and i think that's that's really cool also yeah it's you know uh this is zhao's third movie um i haven't seen her first movie songs my brother taught me i I did enjoy um her second film the writer from a couple years ago i mean that was again it's just one of those one of those movies where it just like it is quintessentially American. Yes. But not in a bad, not in like a bad Transformers, like Revenge of the Fallen type of <laughs> way, but like truly like a, a heartwarming American. Yeah. And I think that movie for me, you know, I, I wasn't one of the people who was just sort of like ecstatic about it, but um, I, I think for me, I saw someone who had a great gift and sort of like naturalism and a kind of like, very Deborah Granick. We talked about her a while back, but like it's got yes, shades yes. of her, and uh, I love Deborah Granick, so I am not arguing against it. I don't know if Deborah Granick would ever make an MCU movie, but uh, we love range. Yeah, and and I mean Zhao has such a great gift. I think with with non professional actors as well. You know, there's non professional actors in the writer, and I think yeah. she gets these very like soulful performances out of these people. 
Um, and for me, Nomadland is kind of a power up. I mean, it's a movie that, at least for me, is evoking kind of the grandeur of like a Terrence Malick movie and the kind of like connection with the land that he has in his yeah. movies. And um, it sounds like from interviews I've listened to, like Zhao is herself like a fan of movies like yeah. The New World. So, I mean, that kind of Malick through line isn't too... Um, too out of step no, but absolutely you know and she she also has this like uh, unlike the writer she has a, a movie star at the center of this and she has francis mcdormand who if you if i didn't know who she was i you could have easily told me like no this woman really does this like oh like, really <laughs> oh i fully think if i didn't know that that was francis mcdormand if i fully just came in like yeah she uses mostly non-professional actors i'd be like i bet she like I bet she knows what this life is about. And it's like, no, she's been acting with the Cohen since the eighties. It's like, Oh, never mind. But I mean, that, yeah, that's I mean, I can, I can always pull Francis McDormand out of, of the crowd. But I, I think what, like, I remember texting you and a couple of our other friends after we saw the like New York film festival screening of this. And I, I think the, the phrase I used was of just like Francis McDormand seems just as much kind of carved out of the land as like the, the mountain ranges yeah. in this movie of there is just something about her. Like I, I forget where I heard this. I heard a couple people um comparing just like her presence in this to something like something like John Wayne and like, you know, w without getting into sort of like the politics of John Wayne, I was but about like, to say without the McCarthyism, it, which is great. Yes. But like the sense of John Wayne is just like a, a figure that you look at and represents like a certain kind of just like Ideal. rugged American spirit. And there's just something about the look of him where it is just like that. That is that is a person that is only sort of bred out of America. And looking at um, McDormand in this movie, she's just got I, I i don't know this is to me i think a great um example of just her presence as a movie star yeah. and what how much sort of charisma and command she has on the screen not really just like doing much i mean just sort of being and existing in this world and kind of traversing the land and sort of working in factories and stuff and it's 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 incredible to see Zhao kind of elevate her style to this more this this grander vision and then having someone like mcdormand who just sort of draws you to the screen you can't stop looking and at. it's not flashy again it is not no, it, no. she is not uglying herself up and going close makeup or amy adams makeup to, i'm really not gonna stop bragging on this movie wow <laughs> um but you know that's the thing she doesn't feel it doesn't feel like this is a hollywood actor pretending to be this what vision of what people think this part of the country lives like granted the movie takes place in two very different parts of the country but a lot of the same you know like economic and social like disparities like both places um it it really does have that like this is someone who really sat and worked and like worked out exactly what they want this character to be and they put themselves in the middle of everything i know she worked Frances mcdormand worked at an amazon factory literally actually worked there at the factory in the oh movie wow to like figure out everything in the movie could you imagine working at an amazon factory and your co-worker is just casually awesome. be like is that the girl from fargo it's like is that it's just like casually two-time oscar winner uh Frances mcdormand like you know it's like oh hey girl how you doing and it's just, you know you know someone just went up to her and was just like you look a lot like Frances mcdormand and she's and like she i get that like, a lot I am. and they're like oh okay I get okay that that's lot. cute sweet. like oh my god yeah she's like my cousin um no and like that's the thing it's like you just know like Frances mcdormand is not a bitch to be messed with like period like she is fully not that girl you knew she, when she won that oscar she was about to do something and i feel like that sort of like raw power is so quintessentially american especially with like american women where it's like mm -hmm. you have to be strong but also nice and motherly and comforting but you also have to be able to like fend for yourself and also just be all these a million different things at once and i think Frances mcdormand really like exemplifies that in one of the just like 
in one of the ways that I don't think many actresses can really do that. And I think much like the way that, like, Chloe Zhao is the new, I guess, maybe not ideal, but, like, you know, the new vision of, like, Americana, you know, as we saw mm-hmm. her. I think, I agree with you about John Wayne. It is, it is, she is the John Wayne of the new America, of this newer world where we get to see more people and like yeah she's a white woman but i think she represents this area of whiteness that doesn't like alienate other people in the same way as like i don't mean to come back to it but if you look at i can't remember his name the guy from hillbilly hillbilly twitter the Rotten Tomatoes user rating people are going to storm your I'm house sorry. if you mention this I'm again. I'm sorry, but also, like, you know, you look at the dude's Twitter and it's like, oh no, he doesn't represent everyone. He doesn't represent, he's not standing up for everyone in America and, like, trying to make other voices or less, uh, like, less propelled voices heard. And I feel like Frances McDormand uses her power to do that both on and off screen. And I think that's just... I love her. Yeah, well, uh, we should note that, um, you mean, you kind of hinted at it with your incredible transition, but I mean, Chloe Zhao is going is doing Marvel's The Eternals, and her next project is an MCU movie, and the entire time I was watching this, I was just like, what in the world is that going to look like? Because, I mean, her style as a filmmaker is so different from, like, any... Even, even like, a Ryan Coogler, who is more of you know, a crowd pleaser and a pop filmmaker and Zhao's gifts as a director are just like, not like it is almost like a completely different ballpark. And so I'm fascinated to see like what she does with that. I think comic it, book it, it adaptation. Will be interesting. I think, I mean, from everything that I'm hearing from Marvel, it sounds like they're putting a lot of stake in it, that they're really mm-hmm. like, they're trusting her with it. And they sounded very excited about it yesterday. I mean, look at that cast. Like, they really, they put some money into this movie. And here's the thing, even if it ends up being, even if it ends up being, like, super forgettable, even, like, mm-hmm. God willing, if it's not great, Chloe, Chloe Zhao just got a paycheck that could fund five Nomad Lands in the future. Agreed. That's, I mean, if it has literally no effect on her career critically she at least has that money that she can go out now and if you know if she wants to make one or ten indie movies for searchlight or a24 or neon or whatever she can do that and i think that's cool or she will you know have the money to maybe get that funding from someone like warner brothers or you know make a mid-budget movie and really bring back that bring back that subgenre of movie that we've been missing for quite a while well i think we can both agree that uh listeners should definitely check out nomad land when they 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 come across it and that it it is one of the one of the best movies of 2020 i like a lot of the 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 like a little bit of i feel like a lot of the momentum for it has has died down a bit because i feel like so it's it's problem i have with a lot of the critic community and i'm guilty of it too is kind of once we see something no matter how if early before you know quote audiences do we kind of get all of Mm -hmm. our conversation points out and then we don't talk about it anymore and i feel like no one's talking about nomadland as much anymore when i think they definitely should you know obviously we've switched our focuses to things like mank and uh minari and other things and you know i don't think that makes them any less worthy of talking about though i have my feelings on make my personal ones but uh you know something like this i don't think the momentum should stop on because i think it is it is that good yeah i think it's just an unfortunate side effect of sort of like the weird you know just the weird gear and the weird way things are being released and i i wonder if this would maybe be a movie that would get kind of like you know, I feel like it got a lot of chatter when it was premiering at pretty much all the fall festivals, sort of online collections. But, um, you know, I, I, I hope it gets a second boost and I hope there is an opportunity, whether it goes yeah. to VOD or whatever, for a, a lot of other people to check it out. Because I, I do think it's it's a it's a secretly very powerful movie and just sort of like the way the images are composed and 
the you know just the, the as a pure visual experience i found it um pretty breathtaking yeah i think but, i think it would I, it would do well on something like hulu i feel like i feel like it would maybe not now maybe a little bit later but i feel like if they kind of push that there maybe not as like an exclusive but as something you know just out like kind of neon does with some of their smaller movies i feel like that could be a, a good move um but yeah i love nomadland and i think david strathern is uh very dreamy also so just i'm putting that yes. out there well let's transition to talking about another tiff title that uh that listeners definitely can rent if they want to um although i think it's one that you and i are a bit yeah. um colder yeah. on than most of the critical community which is ammonite uh a new sort of period piece romance starring two actresses that you and i are both a sort of adoring watchers of kate winslet and saoirse ronan and is directed by francis lee uh a, 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 do you, do you want to kind of give like a, a summation of the movie i feel why? like we didn't give a why? summation of gay? no land but is that why is that why you're no, making me I talk just... about am at night <laughs> Is that what it just kidding? Um, no. So yeah, Ammonite is very much my type of movie because it is a gay period piece. And, um, I, I was actually, I was looking forward to it because I mean, it definitely had its shades of portability on fire coming off of last year. I was about to say, yeah. Which was, you know, obviously this amazing movie that if you haven't seen, it really is one to watch. Um, but it, you know, coming off of that, I got shades of that. And I was obviously very enthralled by that. Uh, The actors in it, Kate Winslet's been the biggest forever and like Saoirse Ronan is the new it girl on the scene and then Francis Lee I really I like because um I'm not sure if everyone has seen God's Own Country um God's Own Country is what Call Me By Your Name wishes it was um mm. like oh, I mean Josh O'Connor oh my god Timothy Chalamet found dead but um like I mean, it, it is on the level of, like, Brokeback Mountain for me in that I, I almost enjoy it more because it's less, like, gay tragedy and more just, like, it, yeah, it's a troubled romance, but it, it, it doesn't make you just, like, sob over everything at all times. And I think it, it just has this really wonderful chemistry, especially between Josh O'Connor and Alex Cariano. And um, and I, I, I expected that with Ammonite. And unfortunately, I was kind of left in the cold with it because it is... It's a very slow movie. I don't think slow is necessarily a bad thing with a lot of movies, especially with period pieces. But for the thing with Ammonite, unfortunately, is that despite two good individual performances from the leads, there was genuinely no chemistry between them. I was like, these women wouldn't like each other. And of course, that's obviously the point in the beginning. It's like, yeah, of course, they don't like each other. They're from two different walks of life and it's like oh but they're gonna discover they like things about each other as it goes on because it's that kind of romance and then it was it was just like i don't i don't really get where this went i don't feel like i went on this like emotional journey with these characters it really felt like oh god like it it just left me completely cold and i never really understood well obviously i did understand where we got but i never understood from like an emotional standpoint where the movie started versus where the movie ended i was just like i don't feel like this movie did much of anything unfortunately and it, it's a shame because i feel like there were a lot of different elements in it that that were that were made to please me and me specifically and if you can't even do that honey you got some you got something up with your movie um actually who knows y'all might like it i just didn't yeah, I think it's interesting you bringing up Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was kind of the movie I couldn't get out of my mind while watching yeah. this. Not just because they are period piece lesbian romances, but they're also seaside and even like distributed by the same company. Yeah, it's still company. neon. It's like, bruh, no wonder it looks the same. It's the same people who like marketed the last movie. Although I think... I think you're kind of on to something with the chemistry because to me, the thing that is sort of missing from this movie that I, I, I hate to just compare it to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but the thing that movie has that this movie doesn't is a, a kind of intensity and a, a desire to it. There's there's very specific way that Celine Siama, who made Portrait of a Lady on Fire, is able to sort of um, convey a kind of like 
longing and lust and sort of like inner emotions and th- there there's a fire to kind of like glances and looks and the way that images are put together in that movie that here there just isn't and so you don't feel any kind of spark between this relationship between um Kate Winslet's character who is a paleontologist and Saoirse Ronan's character who's the who wife is depressed of an, another yeah the depressed wife of another paleontologist who's just left to kind of um stay with Kate Winslet's character while her husband is away um but yeah I, I don't know I just I agree with you I kind of found this movie sort of a snooze and I I was missing that kind of that intensity and that spark and that that sense of inner flame that portrait of a lady on something like portrait of a lady on fire has and this movie just sort of felt chilly and distant and I I never got a sense of these two people kind of connecting and and sort of exploding off screen and it could start that way it could start chilly and distant portrait of a lady on fire started chilly and distant but that's the thing is you have to take us on that journey and i mean i like what you said about the 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 just the longing glances in portrait of a lady on fire where it's like when she was painting her there's something very sensual and sexy about painting i mean you even see it with kate winslet in something like titanic it's like you know um and you lose that in this and i think what's interesting about this is like you think of something like portrait of a lady on fire which has nudity but it doesn't have like sex there's no like actual quote Mm, sex scene mm -hmm. in it and i feel like that movie has so much more sensuality and sexiness to it than ammonite which has explicit sex scenes like it really does it really does show that like dist that like distance between literally showing something and putting the emotional effort into getting us somewhere to where you don't have to show us that Celine Siama didn't show us that you know she showed kind of the like the sensual elements of maybe like afterwards or things like that but you know with this it's like you didn't build up to anything really like nothing it didn't feel like these grand sex scenes that I think were really played off so much better in something like God's Own Country, which also has very explicit sex scenes. But the difference with that is that there was that intensity. There was that longing between the two characters. Uh, and, you know, much like Ammonite, it it was also a gay romance that is, you know, in an area where that's not really the, the thing. So you have they have to go through that kind of like, is this right, is this wrong type of, journey and i think that is something that is handled very well in other films but this one i feel like just kind of lost itself along the way so by the time it finally got to its destination i was just like now i'm good like i'm i don't i don't see where this i don't see where this movie kind of wanted to find its footing there are some movies where even if i don't like them i'm just like yeah, I I get what it was going for though. Ammonite, I was just kind of like, why are why are these women supposed to be into each other? Like, why why am I supposed to care about this romance? Why am I supposed to believe anything that's on screen? Nothing really feels very natural about it, and that's and I regardless, I think that is that is pertinent for any romance movie, and that's why I think a lot of romance movies leave me out in the cold. It's just because nothing, a lot of times nothing feels natural and while this isn't cheesy and corny like something you can see on like hallmark it still is it feels unnatural nonetheless that sounds homophobic i promise i'm gay y'all oh god <laughs> saying this movie is unnatural really sounds <laughs> well i think kind of like you know piggybacking off what you said about sort of the the the, 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 the sexual content in this movie is i i do think sort of like lust and longing and kind of sexual desire i I think kind of works in movies similar to kind of like a suspense sequence and like a thriller and the sense of like you know there's the alfred hitchcock quote about it's it's not the suspense is not the bomb going off it's sort of like the lead up to that and maybe something the reason something like portrait of a lady on fire even if it doesn't have kind of this explicit sexual content like ammonite does just feels like a much a much for lack of a better word hotter movie is 
it, it is all about sort of the buildup and yeah. all about kind of the inner desire and sort of like longing well, and you're lust. Rooting. And you're this... rooting for them. You're like, yes, go for it. Kiss her. Like it's, and like, and that's the thing. It's like the lead up to the first kiss and portrait of a lady on fire felt like a sports event compared to the lead up to the first explicit sex scene in Ammonite. And again, it's just that like, con like, quantity does not always equal quality in the even in the interest of like how much violence or sex or profanity you put in a movie it's like you got to put some weight behind it you can have you know you can have a slasher movie where uh, hundreds of people die or you could have a movie that has one really jarring like sequence of violence that's going to be the one that sticks with me not the one that has you know a lot of it or you know, like a, a an explicit amount of it. It's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have the one that's more memorable to, memorable to me emotionally, or something that's going to like resonate with me on more than just like a oh yeah, that's happening level. Uh, one more title I kind of wanted to recommend. I don't know if you've seen it, but it kind of fits in with our conversation about TIFF titles, kind of now uh -huh. available to stream. Is uh. Wolfwalkers, which is I haven't watched really it yet. Great. Oh my god, I want uh, to though. It's um, it's it's pretty great. A wonderful animated yeah. movie. I believe it's from Ireland. And, it's Cartoon Saloon. Uh, yeah, they're from, based in Kilkenny. Um, don't I, yeah. I, I just, of course I know that, but um, yeah, I I I'm excited to watch it. I don't have an Apple TV, so I have to watch it on my like iPad, which kind of sucks. But um, I'll live. Uh, but. Yeah, I really want them to come through and snatch that Oscar from Pixar. A, because Pixar's had enough. B, I want to support Irish film. And C, um, I actually am weirdly rooting for Apple TV. I feel like they're really coming up through the through the ranks very slowly. Uh, but it would be it would be cool to see them take something also. Yeah, that that movie for anyone who's interested is available to watch. I, b I believe right now on uh -huh. um, Apple TV Plus. Um, I watched it a couple nights ago with my girlfriend, and uh, you know the the soul conversation will be one that uh, we'll table on this show for a, a special post Christmas episode. But I I would say this is probably like you know when we vote for our North Carolina Film Critics Circle Awards, like th this will be my number one pick for the best animated yeah. movie of the year. I, I love I, their. I really really enjoyed it. There's there's something the animation is so kind of simple yet effectively yeah. beautiful um and I, I don't know there's a little bit of like that kind of like miyazaki yeah cartoon um, saloon is very environmental very like, aspect European to it ghibli i find and you yes. know i don't know if you've seen secret of hells or song of the sea but it is it is their trademark and it's they have been working for a while and they don't do many movies they put out they put out very few, but what they do put out, they are a quality over quantity studio. And I will always take that over, you know, people who churn out two to three decent movies a year. Well, I think that's a, a perfect, perfect place for us to leave it with uh, a movie people can go ahead and check out right now. I'll probably watch it tonight. Um, Hunter, because... yeah, definitely watch it. Uh, Hunter, thank you again for hopping on thank the latest. And, um, you know, stay safe out there. I hope the uh, IMD, the Rotten Tomatoes user ratings people don't um, burn your house down. Uh, we probably have good insurance at school. <laughs> uh...